0: What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang. and Pat, we literally could have done three full episodes today of different things with how many things are going on right now. Oh, the sports world is
1: in full swing, and you have to absolutely love it. We had yes. a fantastic weekend of NFL football, I so what the reviews are in, basically, after the first time having three games on, on each day, that was awesome.
0: Yep. 10 was, out of 10 yeah. I wanted every single year we ta- I mean we happening. talked about how much it kind of sucked having the Bears in at eight and eight <laughs> like maybe you can argue that teams at eight and eight don't deserve to be in the playoffs but having three games a day one game at a time that was so so nice
1: oh, It was it was great and I, I do think it'll be something that the NFL has moving forward yeah uh, college football you had a champion crowned last night pure dominance out of Alabama on their way to an- another undefeated se- season and Nick Saban taking home his seventh national championship. I mean, it. I, f- I feel like this is something we say about Patrick Mahomes, but it really applies to Nick Saban. What more is there to say about Saban at this point? I do think no. he solidified himself as the greatest college coach of all time. Me and too. This, this Alabama team is going to go down as one of the better. It's so tough because you're coming off of a year with that LSU team from a year ago, but... The, this Alabama team also should go down as one of the better of all time.
0: So, Pat, I was literally just going to ask you. I know how much you love that team last year, and I oh, know so how much. much you love Burrow. What, which team are you taking?
1: It, wow. Way to put me on the <laughs> I spot. I put you on the spot there. <laughs> on, on that one. Uh, I will take the LSU team okay. from a year ago just because of the utter dismantling they did to Oklahoma in the semifinal game and then overcoming Trevor Lawrence and Clemson in that title game on top of, of course, what they did in the SEC season. Before that, Joe Burrow had the greatest season ever by a college quarterback. Uh, th- there are a lot of things that went into it. I uh, This takes nothing away from what this Alabama team did this season, uh, and especially in a COVID season. It's very, very impressive, but I'm still going to put LSU ahead of them.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to lean that way too. I think Joe Burrow was this absolutely transcendent talent. You're talking more about the Alabama receivers this year than you were about any offensive skills players on the uh, LSU team last year, but I mean, Devontae Smith is, I can't even put into words what watching him is like. It wasn't fair
1: last night. It just, it it was not fair to watch Smith going up against the Ohio State secondary, and that's what it's been like all year for Devontae Smith, a, a deserved winner of the Heisman Trophy, and uh, goes out a national champion and possibly a Miami Dolphin. But yeah. I'm sure we will talk about that plenty in top the next couple months.
0: You got to think top five, top six. I know Eagles fans want him. But yeah, I mean, I texted you, I think, like two minutes in the second second quarter. And I say, what's the point of you even watching anymore? Because you know, one if if Ohio State didn't score on every single possession, Alabama was going to run away with it. And that's exactly what they did.
1: The the first punt from Alabama came at the end of the at the end of the second quarter, right before halftime. unbelievable is where, where Ohio State then kneeled the ball. Yeah, every other possession was a score, or Mac Jones had the one fumble. Yeah. Uh, last night, but it, it was it was pure dominance. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch when that offense is firing, and that offense was basically firing all season long. Um, yeah, and so another national title for the Crimson Tide.
0: Offense, offense, offense. We said so it last football, week. It's
1: football now. <laughs> It's just how the game is really, has really evolved, both professional and collegiate.
0: So uh, it, it was a fun game to watch just to see how good those Alabama players were. Again, Saban is at seven now. I think that definitely solidifies him as the greatest coach of all time. We also could have done a baseball pod. We had a Liam Hendricks sign with the White Sox. Francisco Lindor traded to the Mets, which was probably the happiest Pat has been in what? Years? Your whole lifetime as a Met?
1: It was definitely a top three day. Top and, three uh, as a fan, I'd put Johan Santana's no hitter and getting to mm-hmm. the World Series in 2015 as a, as the other top two there. But man, for we'll talk about it later. But Francisco Lindor's a New York Met. I still have to say that out loud to believe it because <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. So make sure on uh, <clears throat> Apple Podcast you are subscribing rating reviewing so you're catching all of our content as we bring it to you guys in the ensuing weeks we're in the thick of the NFL playoffs we've got the NBA going on we've got baseball offseason we had unbelievably good news coming from the MLB this week that they are planning on having a 162 game full season so we just have to cross our fingers and our toes and hope that they get all that in because we want all that baseball action
1: Yeah, of course, you know, props to them for being able to even put the season together in 2020, but it would be fantastic if they are able to put together a full 162-game slate in 2021, if spring training can kick off as normal about a month from now. And it looks like baseball is working towards that, which is a great sign. Uh, It would be really nice if we knew if there was a designated hitter in the National League. (laughs) As I say, we are getting closer to spring training. We still don't know the rules. Yeah, so.
0: Hey, I thought it was going to be more of a mishmash than it is now. So let's take the small victories. With, sure, we'll, we'll with manspread the in victories. the league. <laughs> uh, all right. So we. That's like a quick around the world context here. Should we get into what we're actually going to talk about today with the wild card weekend, six games?
1: Oh, this is. I think this is a pretty fun way for us to look back at the wild card round, and then we'll look forward towards the divisional
0: round. Cool. All right. So we came up with our little premise for reviewing the games that happened over the weekend we're going to give some superlatives so we're going to spend a little bit of time on this we're going to spend a little bit of time previewing the upcoming divisional round playoffs we uh matchups we have a ton of good matchups there but pat why don't you start we'll we'll go game by game but we'll give general superlatives to start and i'm super excited to hear what you have
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. I'd love to. I think this will be a fun way to do it. So, okay. I will start with one of my superlatives and it will actually be to go with the game. That was the first game of the weekend. And mine is most likely to completely revolutionize an offense. And that would be Stefan Diggs and just the impact that he has in this game and more so for the season entirely in Buffalo. I mean, in this game, he was a monster for them. Six catches, 128 yards and a touchdown him coming here has to be linked to how the the season that Josh Allen has had and how much he has improved as a passer this year. And you look at the season as a whole for Diggs. He's been spectacular. Uh, He's played in the same or one more game than he did a season ago and had almost, or not almost, he had over 60 more receptions from this season in Buffalo over what he had a year ago. He catches about 75% of the balls that are thrown his way, which is just insane. And again, a huge part of the Buffalo Bills and a massive part of why they were able to win on Saturday.
0: It's unbelievable how much of an impact one player can have and how much confidence it can give Josh Allen. And Pat, I've been thinking a lot about how historic that Bills game was and the Browns game, obviously. And how in our lifetime, we've literally never seen these teams win playoff games. And when you saw the emotion in the crowd, thank goodness there were fans at that Bills game.
1: That was great to see. That was was fantastic for that city.
0: Literally crying in the stands because this win means so much to them. It's unbelievable. And I was so happy. Josh Allen is a superstar. Stephon Diggs is a super superstar. And... This was my honorable mention for most exciting game of the weekend because Philip Rivers gave the Bills a fight and there there was a lot that went into this game and I was much more enthralled than I expected to be.
1: Yeah, on the Colts side, they they put up a fight and you know, we kind of had a feeling they would Frank Reich I think is a a wonderful coach out there in Indianapolis. And as I talked about last week, I love the roster. And you know what? It wasn't even that Phillip Rivers let them down. He he played pretty well in, in this game for them. So it'll be interesting to see if they move forward with a, a short-term deal with Rivers or if they look elsewhere quarterback-wise. But for Indy, while they did drop this game in what I thought was a very difficult matchup going on the road to, to Buffalo here, I think this team, especially with kind of the turmoil that could be happening in their division with houston you know jacksonville's obviously got the number one pick in tennessee kind of had an awkward ending i guess i would put it (laughs) that's one way you could put it (laughs) to their season i think indianapolis is pretty well positioned um to be able to repeat some some regular season success and depending on matchups they they should be able to get over the hump over the next couple years
0: it just popped into my head most likely to be a superstar could be jonathan taylor
1: Oh, I love Jonathan Taylor. He had
0: another very good performance. Michael Pittman Jr. also had a very good game. They have the weapons there. I don't. We still don't know what their quarterback situation could be like. But if they get a young guy, this team could, in the next couple of years, really build the offense and the defense back to what it was a couple of years ago, and, and be pretty prominent.
1: Yeah, they, they'll be a team to watch uh, for sure moving forward but this weekend and especially saturday was all about the buffalo bills as it should have been as uh, as you said winning a first playoff game in our lifetime josh allen played great uh, stefan diggs was a huge part of that
0: yeah a hundred percent and uh i actually traded him away to greg in fantasy oh. our special guest last week and i've been regretting it ever since he had an unbelievable season hey he really did yeah and and, uh, and again just what having a number one receiver does for josh allen it makes him an elite passer and i have some really good numbers on josh allen but i i wanted to you you led me into it pretty well with uh the titans but before i think we should uh preface our superlative and then let the other person answer quickly first thing that comes to their head to to mix things up a little bit why not so if i say to you the most disappointing performance who would you give that to Uh,
1: i would say the pittsburgh steelers
0: okay all right, I'll go Titans first, and then we'll go there.
1: No, well, listen, Titans would be two on two. The list for me. <laughs> but we'll get into the other game.
0: <laughs> so to be even more specific, Derrick Henry, I think, takes yes. the cake for most disappointing performance. In the previous games against the Ravens this season and then in the div- divisional round last year, 164 yards per game on average in those two contests. He had 40 yards on Sunday. The 2,000-yard rusher, the back-to-back rushing champ, had 40 yards on Sunday in the wildcard matchup of the playoffs. He averaged 5.4 yards per carry during the season, and he absolutely blew it in this game. In the first half, he had 10 rushes for 18 yards That was 1.8 yards per carry, lowest yards per carry in the first half in the past two seasons. Pat, it was unbelievable how much of a non-entity Derrick Henry was in this game. Longest run of the game, eight yards. I don't even know what to say.
1: No, unbelievable is definitely a, a good way to word it. And funny enough that your superlative actually is very similar to mine. We're basically talking about the same thing. I just worded it differently. I said best prepared. And mine would have been John Harbaugh for really stacking up that Ravens defense against Henry and not allowing Henry to do anything uh, in, in the run game for Tennessee. And then, you know, you look at Tannehill and it's Tannehill didn't exactly have an awful game, but where this game really came in down to and why I think Harbaugh also gets the best prepared is that they dominated time of possession. I mean, Baltimore had almost 34 minutes uh, with the ball and, they they ran Lamar Jackson a ton in this game, sixteen carries. Oh, he was so good for Jackson. Yeah, he struggled through the air a little bit, uh, but it, you know when he's running like that, it's going to be really hard to contain. Especially when J.K. Dobbins is is becoming a force for them as well. Mark Ingram wasn't even healthy for this game to yeah. be able to rotate into it, and they still dominate on the ground so much. But I do think this was a very disappointing way for Tennessee to crash out. I thought Tennessee was going to win this game uh, based on their offense, and that offense never got going, and that's because Baltimore really uh, saddled up Derrick Henry.
0: The sad thing to me was that they did have it going in the first quarter. They were up 10 nothing. A.J. Brown was having the game of his season. Tannehill was getting the ball down the field, and then their offense just imploded down the stretch. And you talk about the Ravens being prepared. Henry faced Eight defenders in the box on 72% of plays. The Ravens went into this game with the game, the the one game plan, stop Derrick Henry, and that's what they did. And when you stop him, it makes all the other players on that Tennessee team look much less formidable. And I think Lamar Jackson, he could go into the most dominant category. He was absolutely dominant. He silenced all of his critics. His arm, I actually think he looked better in the air than I expected. I thought his arm looked pretty good. He had a couple of good passes to Marquise Brown. But what he was able to do on the ground, getting that first playoff win, it was absolutely huge for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the play you look back at on this game was the electric touchdown run that he had, uh, which was just an insane play that I'm not sure anyone else in the league replicates. Um, So that, that was really exciting for Jackson. And then for Tennessee, like you said, the offense was working, at least in the first quarter. The problem that, as you said, with Derrick Henry, of course, but offensively, other than A.J. Brown, who saw 10 targets, no one else saw more than three. I mean, Tannehill yeah. just wasn't able to get in a rhythm. With, I mean, Corey Davis, a receiver who's probably going to make a lot of money this offseason as a free agent, had zero catches on two targets.
0: Yeah. It's just th- not acceptable.
1: No, I think it's a little strange. And Arthur Smith, the, the offensive coordinator, is very highly regarded. He's going on a bunch of different head coaching interviews, and I think there's a decent chance he lands one of them, but it wasn't exactly his best foot forward on Sunday for what it was a very talented Tennessee offense.
0: Yeah, and we've talked a lot about where Tannehill stands in our minds. And his numbers prove that he's top 10, maybe, you know, top 7. His numbers prove that he's up production there. Wise, num- yes. yeah, yeah. production Yeah, production-wise. And the performance on Sunday made it seem like... My thought after the game was, wow, they need to go out and, and draft a receiver. Because they just don't have enough targets, enough firepower for Tannehill to get to. I mean, that's not even thinking about their defense and how many holes are there but they definitely didn't click on offense the way i expected them to and we thought this was going to be a slugfest and it wasn't at all
1: i really thought this was going to be a slugfest i thought what you got in cleveland pittsburgh was going to be this game yeah uh, i definitely definitely surprising and and disappointed in, in tennessee yeah uh, all right go to pittsburgh playoff win pittsburgh (laughs) um so first off what i have for that most memorable just quickly is is the cleveland browns uh you know just fantastic to see that city that team come away with a playoff win their first win in pittsburgh in 17 years and to do so in the postseason especially how they came out of the gates I don't think anyone is forgetting that for a very long time whether it's Cleveland or just a general football fan. And then also another superlative I put for this, it's just it's something to, to look at. You know, most likely to deceive you if you just looked at the box score. It's Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, you look at it and you say, "Wow, the guy bent through for 500 yards." Like how bad could it have been? It was really bad. And I think that this was his last time as a Steeler. I mean, the the four interceptions, that's why Pittsburgh lost this game yeah. they put up 37 points they went down 28 nothing and closed the gap and the reason that they weren't able to overcome it was because the turnovers I mean you had the, the the first snap you know recovered in the end zone from Cleveland that's not on Roethlisberger that's on the ball going over his head but then the four interceptions after that they weren't particularly nicely thrown balls Ben was missing was overthrowing underthrowing guys it was not pretty if I'm Pittsburgh after the you know 11-0 and start to the season, finishing 12-4 and in a humiliating home loss, there are going to be a lot of quarterbacks moving around this offseason. I'm in the market for one. I, I don't think they can move forward with Ben.
0: It's embarrassing. I, I really think that's the only way to put it. And there are so many ways to go here. I'll start with Ben. Pat, he had the NFL record for pass attempts and completions in a postseason game. 47 for 68 68 pass attempts the way I heard it just to finish this point the way I heard it was think about almost 70 attempts how far down how much of a hole do you have to be in for your quarterback to have to go out there and throw 68 passes 501 yards and for you to still lose by 11 points. It's unfathomable.
1: I, I guess the answer to that would be down 28 nothing in the first in quarter. In the first quarter.
0: <laughs> three interceptions in the first quarter. I think this was his worst performance as a Steeler. And he's had a five-interception game before. And this is just the one that will be remembered for his career, which is so unfortunate, j- especially with the way the season started for the Steelers. But the way it culminated in this game, and the roller coaster of emotions, too where you thought maybe they could go in it, they could get back in it, but the passing game, the, the fact that the running game was just a no-entity to have to put that much emphasis on the packing, passing game isn't acceptable.
1: Oh, oh, for sure, and I guarantee you there are going to be people that disagree with us on Roethlisberger and say they can go go back to it. What are you talking about? He threw for four touchdowns, he threw for 500 yards in this game. Just watching him all season, it never felt totally right. And I think the, the efficiency numbers for offense really kind of showed that. I believe they, yeah. they ranked 22nd in offensive efficiency, yeah. even though you look around and see all the weapons that they have. And then just the, the turnovers are unacceptable tonight and or Sunday night. And because of that, I just, I really think they should look to move on. But please talk about your Cleveland Browns, because I'm sure you were thrilled to see them pick up the win.
0: I was. I wanted to say one more thing about Ben too. The way that the quarterback position is changing. It's becoming so mobile. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, all these guys. It's it, A dual-threat quarterback is almost becoming the norm in this young age of quarterbacks that are coming up. And Ben does not fit that mold in the slightest. So the pressure on the offensive line to give him time, and then you have the the Cleveland offensive line. The most surprising performance in a positive way to me, was the Cleveland Browns offensive line. What they were able to do was unbelievable, Pat. And we spent a lot of time... I've stuck with the Browns this whole season. I'm not even sure how this came about, but I just thought there was something there, and I thought Baker Mayfield and Stefanski were clicking. We talked about how unquantifiable Kevin Stefanski's absence was, and it didn't matter. It did not matter one bit because the Browns capitalized when they need to. But going back to this offensive line, they had two all-pro players, one out on the COVID list, Joel Batonio, Mm -hmm. and Jack Conklin, also an all-pro, was forced out with an injury in the second quarter. Another player, Kendall Lamb, went down in the fourth quarter. A guy named Blake Hance, this is one of the coolest things I've ever heard, he came in for Lamb. Baker Mayfield introduced himself to this guy, Blake Hance, right before the game started. And this guy went in and played 15 snaps and was able to protect Baker Mayfield so that the Browns could finish this game and come out with the win. It's unbelievable. I was floored that the offensive line played so well. They held the Steelers without a sack for the first time since the 2017 playoffs.
1: Yeah, that's listen, uh, That's, that's
0: it. I can't even... Put into words how crazy that is,
1: especially with how good that defense has been all season long for Pittsburgh. I, it was the the Browns deserve their props, and I'll be the the first to admit I did not think that they were going to win this game at all, with just all the things going against them, and they came out flying on on Sunday, and it was as I said, it, it, this was just a, a great moment for for Cleveland and and for the NFL to see the team that has been. One of the doormats of the league for so long to come out and just bully the team that has tortured them for years. Um, so a, a a massive, massive performance on Sunday night.
0: Yeah, it was, and I, I just have to wonder how the momentum shifts in this game really played into it. Because if that one snap hadn't gone over Ben's head, you know, maybe he wouldn't have felt all that pressure in the interceptions. It's just, it's a fun, it's funny how momentum works like that. But before we switch, I know you and I have a lot to say on this. The most tragic mistake award goes to Pittsburgh head coach Mike mm. Tomlin for refusing to go for it on fourth down and one as time was expiring in the third quarter down 35-23. I get that hindsight is 2020, but that was the momentum shift That sealed the win for the Browns, and I truly think that if the Steelers had gone for that and made it, they would have scored the touchdown, they would have cut it to, what, five, a one-score game, and who knows what would have happened there. But giving the ball back to the Browns, the Browns needed some sort of reversal of the fortune that had been happening, and that's what it was, and Tomlin gave it to them. And I hate when it comes down to coaches' decisions like that.
1: I was absolutely floored when he punted that ball. Just I I don't get it. I don't. I know after the game, he was quoted saying that he really wanted to play field position. He thought his defense was playing well, and he thought that they'd be able to keep up the momentum. But Cleveland went right down the field and scored. And I just I don't understand how. I, I think the exact like text I sent to you was: We're in 2021, and coaches still don't understand the value of going for it on fourth down. There is a huge difference between being reckless and being efficient. And going for it on fourth down in that situation is just something they had to do. It, it blows my mind in a playoff game in which you're... Listen, even if you're Pittsburgh, at, at that point, you were playing with house money. You were down 28 nothing. This game should have been over, and Cleveland let you back into it.
0: Exactly. How do Why you not, not go, go for it? it? How yeah. do you not push the envelope there?
1: And keep your offense out on the field. I, I just I don't understand it, and I never will understand it.
0: No, and to put this in perspective of how we're still in 2021 and this continues to happen, honorable mention for this award, Mike Vrabel, because the same yes. exact thing happened. Thing. Fourth and two, the Titans were down 17-13 with 10 minutes left in the fourth. Pat at the Baltimore 40-yard line, and they punt the ball away. To compound that. They punt it to the Baltimore 18, so it's not even like it's inside the 5 or the 10. That, I thought, also was too safe of a move. Why not go for it? Otherwise, you punt it away. You give them decent position, but not that great. It just, it hindsight 2020, if you miss it and turn it over on downs, it obviously seems like the end of the world. But to not go for it 4th and 2 with Derrick Henry in this situation, I, I can't. I can't wrap my head around it.
1: No, I I can't either, either, and I just, (laughs) listen, sometimes you just got to play to win, and you got to be aggressive, and you got to try to make those decisions that push the envelope, and I I don't get why coaches wouldn't do that at this point. But I do want to keep us moving along, because we, of course, do want to you know, look look ahead to the games as well. So I will just throw two out very quickly for one game, and that was the Los Angeles Rams and Seattle Seahawks, where the Rams did come away with the win. So shout out to our guest, Greg Welsh, for he correctly did call pre- uh, predicting that one. But my runner-up and kind of what I put for 1B for most disappointing was the Seattle Seahawks just mm-hmm. absolutely laying an egg at home against the Rams in a situation that they completely— should have won that game. Russell Wilson had one of his worst games that I will ever remember him playing was 11 of 27 for a 17 quarterback rating. 17. That is atrocious. And then the other one I want to throw out there is most likely to star in a 70s football movie. And that would be Sean McVay because he ran the ball 43 times. Uh, with the Los Angeles Rams, and how often do you see 43 carries in today's NFL? It was the most by far of any of the playoff teams this season, and you know what? He he took advantage, or not took advantage, he adapted to the situation that he was given because John Wolford started the game, obviously had the very scary injury uh, where he was sent off to the hospital, and then Jared Goff playing with a broken thumb just does not look good throwing the ball right now. Uh, so McVeigh went switched up to ground and pound, and they got the job done.
0: Yeah, you said it perfectly. I'll add quickly, my most unrecognizable was Russell Wilson. Yep. I could not, the, the could not believe The decline this. of his state of play from the beginning of the season has been astonishing, truly astonishing. Tied second-worst uh, completion percentage in his career against the Ram. Most dominant performance, Ram's defensive line. Yep. The way that they were able to get to Wilson – was unbelievable. Five sacks. This is the 11th time in the last 17 games where the Rams opponent hasn't gained more than 300 yards. The 10th time in the last 17 games where the opponent has not has scored 20 points or less. The Rams are dominant on defense. I mean, Greg told us, I thought Seattle's offense would get it done, but defense 100% won this game in L.A.
1: Yeah, as much as we talk about offense, this was all about defense, and this was all about Aaron Donald, especially just terrorized uh, the Seattle Seahawks and then, of course, went out with that injury. But it does look like he will play this weekend because the man's a freak. Um, Exactly. Yeah, That's basically the easiest analysis I can give you is that yeah. Aaron, Aaron Donald's a freak. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that Rams defense played out of its mind. It, it really stifled a Seattle offense that, yes, the the trend was absolutely there, that they were trending downward. But I chose to ignore that and thought that they would be able to get things done at home. With, with the explosiveness that they normally have, and they most certainly did not. That was, oh, it was ugly from Seattle.
0: Yeah, it was a tough game to watch, which I really wasn't expecting at all, that divisional rivalry, and, and it was just, you know, everyone says they, likes de- they like defense, but defense is boring to watch, but, but Seattle just not being able to get it done was difficult. But you know who was almost able to get it done? Who? Taylor Heineke.
1: Oh, also one for me
0: he wins my most unforgettable superlative because what he did was truly unforgettable the energy he brought you know again we talked about it last week nobody expected washington to be in this position no matter what they did the story of this season was alex smith and ron rivera and all the triumphs that they can just take with them in the future taylor haneke might be one of those guys that they bring with him in the future second career nfl start He had 300 yards patching in the touchdown, 46 yards rushing in a rush touchdown. He did almost everything Washington needed. He also got hurt and came back. People love that. And of course, Tom Brady is the GOAT, wasn't able to get it done versus them. But I think people people in Washington will remember Taylor Heineke's name for a long time.
1: So funny that you say that. Heineke is also my superlative for most likely to appear in a Disney movie. Uh, After this story that is happening, if they won this game, they did not win this game. So, the movie, unfortunately, the script did not pass. (laughs) Um, But just going back from where he was as a graduate student at Old Dominion a month ago to starting an NFL playoff game against Tom Brady at home. Is just it's a crazy, crazy story, and he played well. He he really did. I think NBC hyped him up a little too much. Yeah, it, it did get a little. Excessive. Tony Dungy yeah. basically <laughs> said that we were watching Peyton Manning play yeah. for for Washington, and that drove me a little crazy. Um, I still think Washington should be looking to upgrade their quarterback position this off season, whether it come through a trade, whether it come through the draft. But Heineke, I think after what you saw there, you have no problem having him on your roster. No. So, and that's a win for Washington, especially just to have quarterback depth, because we obviously know how important that is, especially if backups have to come in. And then for Tampa, it's kind of a weird game because they won by eight, but I never thought they were in danger of losing that game. Um, I don't, I I didn't really feel strongly either way about them. I, uh, you know, going into it last week, I said, I, I believe Tampa is in the echelon that can get to a Super Bowl from the NFC, but you know, it wasn't as strong as a performance as I would have liked to have seen out of them
0: for some reason i'm just starting to value ronald jones so much Mm, having him back i i really just think elevates them and you saw the the fumble from vaughn which was the obvious one that maybe ronald jones wouldn't have done but yeah i didn't think it was anything special i thought i was hoping for the drive at the end for him for heineke to uh lead them on a game-winning drive that was that was obviously the the Disney script that I didn't pass. I'd say that the script too. That's would have so then. funny. Yeah. That I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think I actually have <laughs> previewing the upcoming games a little bit. Brady has just had the two worst matchups for his team. Washington was a bad matchup for them because of their defensive line, and the Saints are a bad matchup for them. Based so on I'm on just first I'm not sure.
1: James sh- this year against them. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. So it, it's. It's interesting to see where Tampa Bay ends up because they have the offensive firepower. They showed it again. But yeah, I didn't leave feeling super impressed by them or anything like that.
1: No, I agree with that. And then I have one more for the final game. Do you have one for the final game? No, you go first. Okay, because I was going to say, I think this just sums it up and we can move along. Uh, (laughs) Most likely to put you to sleep. And that would be the Chicago Bears and the New Orleans Saints. It was a dreadful football game on Sunday. The The most entertaining part about that game was that they simulcasted it on Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. um, which I watched for about three minutes because uh, that was all I could take. But yeah. I thought it was a very good idea. Um, for, for the game, though, I mean, for Chicago, we know what the Bears are. They were—they're not a great team. They rode their, their winning streak at the start of the season to be able to get in here. And for the Saints—listen, I said it last week—I'm not impressed— a 21 to nine win over the Bears at home, I, I for a team that I think a lot of people think can get to the Super Bowl. I get it, they won the game. I I just don't I don't believe in the Saints team. I don't, and it was just it was an awful football game to watch.
0: Yeah, I thought their defense was fine. I still don't have any questions about their defense, but I was actually going to ask you. I'm concerned about how quickly or how slowly, excuse me, it took for the offense to get going. I, it, it could have been 7-7 at, at one point if it hadn't been for that. I mean, if one play could sum up the Bears oh, game, yeah. the miss in the end zone on that unbelievable trick play. And it literally, I can't remember the receiver's name. It literally just went right through his arms. But I'm a little concerned about the Saints offense and how long it took for them to start getting, get things going on offense.
1: As we said, leading into it, they're all on Alvin Kamara at this point, And he had 23 carries. In this game, that's what the Saints are going to continue to do because that's how they're going to win games: is when they get the ball into Kamara's hands. Uh, so if if Tampa is able to really load up on the run the same way Baltimore was able to against Derrick Henry, I'm letting Drew Brees try and beat me at this point in his career, um, which is something that I'm sure many would think you would never want to say right. about a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees, but. I'm just not impressed by how he looks throwing the ball at this point in his career.
0: Versus Tom Brady and how he looks throwing the ball at this point in his career, which is yeah. funny. <laughs>
1: no, it, it is. It, it really is. So yeah. that, that's that game. Um, but yeah, that'll that'll do it for a wrap-up then with our superlatives.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that was fun. I, I liked all yours. The Disney one absolutely I just ran tried away with it for with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just tried to have fun with them and throw some different ones out there. Um, yeah. But no, that was a cool way to uh, to recap everything.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's do one storyline to watch in each of the upcoming matchups. We'll start with the first one Saturday afternoon, Rams at Lambeau. My storyline here, the Rams have only won once at Lambeau in the Mm -hmm. last 24 years. So when I saw that, I thought, okay, that means the Rams are going to have to be something special. It's going to take a miracle for them to be able to win in Lambeau. On Saturday was the first time all season that the Rams had a game with no turnovers. If that's the most special thing the Rams can do, not turn the ball over, and still score 30 points against the Seattle defense, I do not have a lot of confidence in the Rams.
1: I will say along similar lines, my storyline for this game is, can it be deja vu? Can the Rams come out there and stop a very powerful and very potent offense? My answer, as I said last week, is going to be no. I don't I don't think so. With This this Packers offense is better than Seattle's and is firing on a lot more cylinders than Seattle's was going into this game. And I'm very concerned about what the Rams are going to be able to do on offense. And I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up.
0: Yeah. And now you have Cooper Cup isn't 100% healthy. I don't Think we know the quarterback situation yet. No, Walford went to the yet. hospital. He was able to come back. Jared Goff doesn't have a functional thumb at this point, but he was still <laughs> able to play. Uh, the biggest difference between this game and Seattle is that we were hoping to see the ghost of the Seattle offense. Yes. The Packers offense is alive and thriving right now, and we have no doubts about them.
1: No, and and that's the thing is that I view Green Bay as almost head and shoulders above everyone else in the NFC anyway. So now you're putting them up against a wounded team in L.A. that doesn't have their quarterback situation sorted. I think that's very worrying for the Rams. Now, again, they're going to have to try, as I said, they are going to have to shoot for deja vu. They're going to have to try and control the clock, pound the ball, and they're going to need that defensive line to put a ton of pressure on Rodgers uh, because otherwise I just I don't see them coming away with even being able to stay in this game late. I think Green Bay yeah. is going to be able to pull away.
0: Yeah and I mean the the two things you said that they need to do that was their their strengths of the first game. They pounded the ball Cam Anchor, Cam Akers played unbelievably Best 131 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He looked really good and the Rams defensive line looked otherworldly. Yeah. So yeah. maybe the Rams can put pressure on Rodgers but his his uh threats Devonte Adams uh Aaron Jones they're too good. I th- he's going to be able to get the ball out of the pocket quickly enough where I think the offensive skills players can still pick this defense apart.
1: Yeah, and the Rams don't cover tight ends particularly well either. And oh, Robert is, is has had a spectacular year for Green Bay. So I would look at him to be able to get in the end zone at some point, and he could rack up a bunch of catches. So it's it's just, this is a tough matchup for the Rams.
0: Yeah, of the three, well, Browns, Chiefs, uh, I don't know. At they, least the
1: Browns are playing well going into it. Yeah,
0: this one, I I really don't see a chance of there being an upset. I really don't think the Rams can beat the Packers at home.
1: I will be shocked if Green Bay loses this game. Me too. I, I will Me put too. it that way. Imagine, though. Wow. It's Yeah, listen, as we saw from this past weekend, anything is possible. Yeah. Uh, but Green Bay is a, a lot to handle. Um, yeah. But we can move then into the Saturday night game, the game that I think is the best one on the docket for the weekend. And the storyline for that is it's a 2018 draft all over again. Josh Allen at number seven, Lamar Jackson at number 32. I mean, the cool thing about this game is just the progression for where each quarterback was from their rookie year to where they are now is just incredible. And to see where they were, I mean, remember when Lamar Jackson first came in, Baltimore basically didn't even let him throw. It was all running packages. He did not look good throwing the ball. Josh Allen, the accuracy was a train wreck coming into the league. This year, I believe he actually set the record for the biggest increase in completion percentage uh, year over year ever uh, here in year three. Uh, the It's really cool to see how both these quarterbacks have progressed. And I think this leads into, in my mind, this is the game of the weekend.
0: I'm so excited for this game. Bucks Saints, I maybe would have been above this if it hadn't been for how much the Saints just slaughtered the Bucks all regular season. Mm -hmm. But this game, the question this is an interesting thing. So if you're talking about the 2018 draft, do the Bills wish they had drafted Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen?
1: I go with Josh Allen. me too that is how much i love josh allen and it's not a slight on lamar
0: i don't i i completely agree with you i don't think it's a slight at all i think the way that josh allen fits into the bills offense and the way that lamar jackson fits into the ravens offense is perfect something really interesting so you talked about completion percentage this is what josh allen has built his game around he was not completing passes at all he had a 74 4.3% 4.3% completion percentage versus the Colts. That was a Bills playoff record. Looking at the defense and what type of defense the Ravens have to bring in order to limit Allen, because he looked pretty unstoppable against the Colts. And we forgot to even mention this. The Bills were starting at the Colts on average seven yard lines. So the the long drives, which is an unbelievable storyline of that game too. But the Ravens are very good at forcing passers out of the pocket. They limit opponents to under 5 yards per attempt on passes outside the pocket, which is third lowest in the NFL. Josh Allen is the best outside-the-pocket passer in the NFL.
1: And you saw against that on Saturday a ton, yeah.
0: Yeah, he had 117 passing yards out of the pocket against the Colts. That was a career high. So I'm really curious to see how the ravens switch that because at this point you're almost thinking that pushing allen out out of the pocket is a strength for him so some some the ravens are gonna have to be the best repaired team again in order to do something against the bills because this quarterback is so electric and you can say the same about same exact thing about lamar jackson too
1: two key things to look at for this game one of them, Zach Moss, is out for the Buffalo Bills, the, the rookie running back. That, so,
0: it, it, that really hurts for them. He was very good against Indy before he got hurt.
1: It, it does hurt, so a lot of it is going to fall on the shoulders of Devin Singletary. They just signed Devonta Freeman to their practice squad, who is potentially could get elevated to the active roster. He hasn't played in many weeks uh, after getting injured with the, the New York Giants. And then the other matchup that I really want to look at, and it'll be a lot of cat and mouse, it's Lamar Jackson against Matt Milano and Micah Hyde. And so that's the one of the linebackers for the Bills and safeties for the Bills. If they are able to really contain on the outside and force Jackson back inside where they're going to have more help, that is going to be the key here because when Jackson's the most dangerous, it's when he gets to the outside. We see it all the time. It's how he killed Tennessee was that when you are not disciplined, and when you just go in to fill gaps instead of staying to your assignment, you're going to get killed by this Baltimore team. And But the thing is, Milano is one of the better linebackers in the league or underrated linebackers for sure. Micah Hyde it. Has, has done a wonderful job for them at, at safety as well. More of a coverage guy for them, but has still been, can make some plays up in the box. So I think those are two things that you're really going to have to watch for Buffalo to be able to contain Jackson. Because if they can contain his big plays, I think they're going to be okay in this game.
0: Yeah, it's so funny because the reason why we're so excited for this game is because of quarterback play and how amazing oh, these offensive sure. offenses are. But it's going to come down to which defense is going to make the most important stop.
1: Oh, absolutely. Turnovers are going to be everything in this game.
0: Yes, and Josh Allen has done a really good job of limiting that this year, and as the completion rate has gone up, that's obviously helped too. But something that scares me, I still think the Bills come out of this, but something that scares me about the Bills' defense is that they gave up the third most rushing touchdowns and the seventh highest rushing yards per carry average to opposing quarterbacks.
1: It's concerning going up against the best rushing quarterbacks. Guess who's the (laughs) best
0: rushing quarterback. That's a glaring problem that the Bills are going to have to fix.
1: One, One thing to look out for, and it may not even be the case as this game rolls around on Saturday night, the weather report currently calls for snow on saturday night in buffalo which, no way i didn't oh, know that man, would that be fun yes i got yeah. that from my my local weatherman jack sherwood uh <laughs> who was just up in the rochester area um so yes uh, the the bills if that game's under snow it'll be even more interesting especially through the air i would mm. say that you start to see the pendulum lean towards baltimore if it's brutal conditions uh with with how baltimore loves to pound the ball but with yeah. all of that said i'm gonna say the bills win this game by a touchdown
0: yeah, I like that. And I I'm, maybe we see Allen become more of a threat on the ground, too, if it comes to that. I we think know the, how good he <laughs> is on the ground. Yeah. The Ravens are going to run it down their throats. And I'm rooting. I mean, I, I I've been feeling ridiculous for counting the Ravens out six weeks ago. I mean, oh, remember me when the Ravens weren't even in the playoff picture and then they were able to put it into this gear and now they're arguably i mean the third best team in the afc you could say at this point which is unbelievable but this i'm so excited this is the young era of quarterbacks that we are all so excited to watch
1: yeah well young era of quarterbacks leads perfectly into the next game on the docket yeah i'm i'm super excited about this one too so bolt not baltimore <laughs> cleveland goes to kansas city so the browns gift for winning their first Playoff game in many many years is a trip to Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs.
0: It always has to be like that. It
1: it does, right? And so, how I look at this, it's it's such a tale of of two halves with that game. If the Browns come out and play like they did in the second half, Kansas City is going to blow them away, and I don't think they stand a chance. But if the Browns are going to come out flying like they did against Pittsburgh, now I think they benefited from a little bit of luck with the snap over the head. I, I from, agree.
0: And that's right. Like maybe it just took that one piece of bad luck to change the whole, the whole script of the game.
1: Oh, for, for sure. And yeah. the, the thing with Roethlisberger throwing four interceptions uh, as well, I I can't see Mr. Mahomes uh, doing the same thing for, for Kansas city. And for that reason, I just, I really think that Casey is going to, I don't Run away with this game isn't fair to the Browns, but looking at it, Mahomes threw six picks this year. He threw five the year before that. Roethlisberger's coming off a four-interception game. Uh, If we just (laughs) just want (laughs) to spotlight the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes, as I feel like we do on a weekly basis at this point. Um, I have a really hard time thinking Cleveland stays in this game. I, I know you might think differently with it, but I think Kansas City rolls them.
0: No, I agree. I don't think Cleveland stands a chance. And the unfortunate thing is they're arguably stronger going into this game than they were against Pittsburgh. Yes, definitely.
1: <laughs> it's just they're facing a much different tier opponent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Pittsburgh had so many issues coming into this game where people still believed Pittsburgh would come away with it, but I'm just thinking maybe if the Browns do this and they can exploit this weakness, the Chiefs don't have any weaknesses.
1: No. No. No, their defense has even improved from what it's been over past years. Yeah, and, that's and you said
0: you said that last week. So the maybe the Browns put more points up on the board than we expect, and I think they do that with the running game. If there's one thing that the Browns outmatch the Chiefs, it's their running yep. game. Nick Chubb, and is better. yeah, the, some an interesting thing to note: the Chiefs' defense actually allows opposing runners an average of three yards per carry before first contact. So the two running backs in the league that are going to exploit that are Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Chubb is averaging 10 yards per carry in the fourth quarter. He turns and he goes into beast mode. It's unbelievable. He's shedding tackles all the time. That was another huge weakness for Pittsburgh in this game. They weren't able to get either of those guys down. So maybe the running backs get some momentum, but I don't think it'll take as many as many random coincident coincidences or luck or whatever you want to call it the chiefs just aren't going to turn the ball over and they're going to get points up fast and it's going to be like the college football championship the browns are a talented team yep but the chiefs just just don't make any mistakes
1: and and that's how i feel on it too and i i wish we could go go deep on it or have a disagreement there but i just i think kansas city is so good they're so stacked everywhere there's no one i'd rather have with the ball in his hands than, than mahomes in that offense I do think the Browns are going to be able to score some points in this game. I do not by any means think that they are going to be completely shut down. I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up is the problem. So I think we could be in for a little bit of an entertaining game. But I do think Kansas City wins this game by by multiple scores.
0: I hope it is, and I, I mean the narrative that the Browns are doing is that people keep counting them out, and yeah, they keep this is showing exactly up. Exactly what they want. Yeah, they, it is, is exactly, exactly how what they, they want. Would want it. um, it's so. not like the Browns have a, a bad defense or a defense to fool around with at all. And I think their offensive line and Baker Mayfield, they've all been good enough where you can't count them out of this game. And if you had said that midway through the season, I think people would have laughed.
1: Absolutely, no. Mayfield has been fantastic, yeah. especially in the d- second half of this season. He deserves
0: a lot of credit, and what he was he able to do without Stefanski, he, de- he deserves a lot of credit. And again, I said last week, I don't care what the Browns do in this playoffs, the most important thing is what it signals for the future.
1: They're doing all this without Odo Beckham as well.
0: Yes, yeah. Jarvis Landry has been playing unbelievably. And again, they get better next year. They get better every next game they play.
1: No, I, th- I think that's very fair, and that's how I feel about this Cleveland team as well, is that they've set the marker now. This has been a fantastic year for them for for improvement. I, I think you go into next year, and they will be one of the favorites in that division, that stacked division, with, with three playoff teams. But we, we talk about matchups here. There's not a worse matchup they could have picked no. um, than going to Kansas City.
0: No, and I think you could say the same things for the Bucks going to... New Orleans.
1: Oh, and this is where we're gonna disagree. Really? Tampa Bay is gonna win this game. Really? Tampa Bay is going to win this game. Listen, I have to stand by it. I said it last. Yeah, you week, did. Right? You did. So I'm not gonna change. That's not how I do these things. <laughs> uh, I just I think it's gonna be really hard for New Orleans to comprehensively beat Tampa three times in one season. I really like the football that Tampa's been playing. I mean, I, as I said, the the playoff game was not their best showing, and I, I thought it was just a little bit of a weird game. But leading into it, they were coming off of four straight wins and uh in where they put up over 40 points in two of them, 30 in one, and then had 26 in the other. So that offense is really firing right now, and as we said, I don't love the Saints' offense. So I, I think that Tampa is going to go into the Superdome, and I think Tom Brady's going to get the win.
0: I wasn't super high on either team in our preview. So I feel like I have the freedom to go either way. <laughs> it's nice when you have freedom. I do not have a it, choice it, on this one. <laughs> because I had Washington beating Tampa, which was a, a, an eccentric pick, to say the least. But They kept it close. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Saints here because they have history on their side. And I'm waiting for Tampa Bay to come down to, back to earth. Tom Brady has been playing unbelievably, and I just don't think he s- sustains it against this good New Orleans defense. I mean... The week one, the the matchup everybody was excited for, thirty four twenty three. Week eight, the Saints win thirty eight to three. Yep. You can't even speak. You can't even list the amount of things that went wrong in that game. During the games where the Saints and the Bucks have played, the Saints have picked off Brady five to time, five times, sacked him six times, and forced a fumble once. I think, I really think we're going to see similar things here, and I think everybody's been talking about how good this Tampa offense is clicking and how they're going to get things together. I have never thought of them as a Super Bowl contender this season. I really haven't. As good as all of their offensive threats are, I didn't think they were, a bit, they were going to be able to get it all together in the first year of Brady, and I think things are coming together for the Saints, conversely at the right time. You have Michael Thomas back. He got his first touchdown reception of the season, which sounds so weird to say based on how good Thomas it is. is. <laughs> Their defense is also very good against good quarterbacks. They hold quarterbacks to the fourth lowest QBR in the league. Their offensive running game has been really, really good. And I have questions about Tampa Bay's rush defense.
1: Yeah, as as we kind of talked about, I, I do think this is your second best game. I weekend. do too. That
0: that being said, it is still the second most exciting game. And yeah. they're both night games, which I don't think is a coincidence. <laughs> no,
1: I don't I don't think so either. Um, I, your points are very valid on the Saints. That, that defense is what I think has the chance to change this game. Because if they are able to get to Brady like they have in the first couple games, and they are able to force those turnovers, and they are able to make him try to move, which we know he can't do very well, then they have as good a chance as anyone to win this game. I just think that Arians is gonna be able to make enough adjustments that you're not gonna see a deja vu here. And I think Tampa gets it done. I, I know that it it's it's a gut feeling, but I, I really like the football that Tampa's playing right now. The Saints just scare me. Um and I, I think I think they get it done.
0: Yeah. I mean the the past couple weeks, Brady has been playing, he looks like he fits seamlessly into Arian's offense which a lot of people did not expect to happen and it didn't look like it was going to happen until what week 12 but now he's averaging a ton of yards per catch which didn't have a yards per attempt yep he had 9.5 yards per attempt that was the fourth highest in his playoff career how many years has Tom Brady been in the playoffs so maybe it just got 31 career wins (laughs) yeah it took a while for Brady and Arians to be on the same page but Antonio Brown has emerged as this threat which we all know. Godwin and Evans are still there putting up crazy numbers. I think I'm just I'm going to go with gut here too. I think the Saints pull it off.
1: Yeah. No, that's it's it's going to be a very a very interesting game to watch. I'm basing it listen, I can't base anything off of the two matchups where they played because obviously the Saints completely dominated them, but yeah. I think this is a little bit different of a Tampa team. You're right. than who saw the Saints those both times earlier in the season. And right. that is why I think they will come away with this win.
0: And Brady's different in the postseason. We didn't mention that. Yeah, they, uh, He's that, just that, that guy breed. just kind of <laughs>
1: elevates his game once the playoffs come around.
0: Yeah, but I mean, the matchup between the quarterbacks is really cool. We're getting two quarterbacks, 42 and 43. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah, no, it, it'll be, it's a big matchup. We've got a couple big matchups for the divisional round. So another great weekend of football awaits.
0: Yeah. All right. So to wrap up, we have, I, we agree on everyone besides the Bucs Saints, right? We have the yes. rant, um, the I Packers. wish we disagreed
1: somewhere else. But. Yeah.
0: I don't know. That's the thing. I I, I see this being pretty clear cut, but there could always be a, a sleeper pick here, but we have Packers and then the d- two teams in the NFC championship and then Chiefs-Bills in the AFC championship well i'm so excited those that all sounds so good
1: oh those matchups would be great yeah uh, it'll be exciting
0: yeah and and if the if baltimore wins it would be a similar i mean chiefs ravens would be an unbelievable afc matchup too
1: i don't think anyone's complaining if it's no
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly all right so we've got that that is our preview for this upcoming divisional round weekend we also had huge trade news mlb This week. So we had Francisco Lindor to the Mets. I'm gonna start with my number with Liam Hendricks. And I've talked about Liam Hendricks on this show before. I actually I'm pretty sure I said he was the most interesting free agent to watch when we did that segment a couple weeks ago, right?
1: Yes, I believe you did. So
0: he's the top reliever on the market. He's now off the market. He's going to Chicago, which is a freakishly perfect matchup. Exactly. (laughs) Pat and I were talking. Everything is perfect in Chicago except for Tony La Russa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that really is how it is. It's I love that roster and then the manager is just so awkward. For, but we for
0: could we could it. still be surprised. They obviously see something that we don't but the roster in on the south side of Chicago continues to get better and now they have the best reliever in the game. And the craziest number I heard this week was 40.2%. 40. And that was what Liam Hendricks upped his strikeout rate 2 in 2020. He strikes out batters 40.2% of the time. That's unbelievable. He is lights out. He had just two unintentional walks in 2020. He's averaging a 1.8 ERA across two seasons. He was an all-star in 2019, the AL reliever-, reliever of the year in 2020. He gets the saves, he gets the strikeouts, he doesn't put guys on base. He is now this rock at the end of the bullpen for Chicago, and I recency bias is real, but I really think we could see a Padres-White Sox matchup within five years.
1: Oh, well, well that would be fun, and yeah, the, this Hendrix this move, as I was saying, this is exactly what the White Sox needed, and it's, it's very exciting for them, and so you... you note the the strikeout rate which is obviously huge. I will look at the walk rate as you kind of mentioned. He walked 3% of batters in 2023. 3% so low. Yeah. to go with that type of dominance is just almost unmatched in the league. Over the last 2 years he has been the best reliever in baseball. I think he fit with so many teams out there. So it's good to see the White Sox to be the ones to step forward and I feel very comfortable about now saying the American League Central is the White Sox to lose.
0: I do too. The AL might be the White Sox
1: to lose. They, yeah, that'll be interesting to see the teams in the East and how yeah. everything ends up shaking out.
0: There are still a lot of free agents to go. <laughs> For sure.
1: Uh, and their lineup is a little bit boom or bust. Uh, they, they have plenty of power and plenty of potential. Uh, but I, they don't have a bunch of consistent guys in it. But if you're looking at teams that then Does, if you want to look on the positive side of the potential, the White Sox are right there. I mean, we we talked about how great the Lance Lynn trade was and how it filled a huge need that he's going to be able to slot in there as that two-starter behind Giolito. He's going to have Dallas Keuchel behind him. Mm Mm-hmm. You have Mitch Kopech coming back from surgery, able to slot in as either a four or five. There is one of the more electric arms uh, or young arms in, in baseball. Uh, that, that lineup, they they signed Adam Eaton to be able to to have some at-bats there, kind of just to sure things up in the outfield. I'm not sure what Adam Eaton is at this point yeah. in his career, but it's at least a established major league player going mm-hmm. back to the White Sox. I mean, you've got the exciting players in Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, Jan Mancada, Luis Robert. Uh, robert so it's there's there's some names in that lineup now and now you add it where that bullpen is a lot more solid knowing you have a true anchor at the back the rest of the bullpen still not great but you have a guy that you should have the utmost confidence in closing games out and that is incredibly valuable
0: so i really and truly believe this i think bullpen is the most important part if you can shore up your bullpen and you can have a quality reliever and closer, especially there, I really think that sets you apart from other teams. Something I thought was interesting: Alex Colome, who became a free agent and that was who they were replacing this year. He was much better than I thought. Yep. I don't. I wouldn't have considered him even in the top ten of relievers if I was just going through in my head. He had a 2.27 ERA in over 83 innings over two seasons in Chicago. Pat, he converted 42 of 46 save attempts. So you can say, arguably, that Colomay was uh, an anchor at the end of that bullpen, and that bullpen still struggled. Hendricks, with how good he's been in the past two seasons, I think he is still an upgrade over Colomay. And just the, uh, the ascension from where he was when he was outrighted by the A's in 2018 and where he is now it's an unbelievable story the White Sox still have some moves to make in that bullpen I think that's a really important point point that you brought up but I think you rely on Hendricks every single time and you didn't necessarily feel like that with Colomay
1: surely no they they now have a top of the line closer and that is very very important and you do bring up a very good point on Colomay I could still see a possible reunion in chicago for a column I also find it a little strange that he's still a free agent but then again everybody and you know so i could you i could have used this as my number of the week that number would be two and that is the amount of free agents that have gotten over a two-year deal wow january 12th yeah there have been two liam Hendricks and james mccann wow that is it that is shocking but that is the, the way this baseball market is playing out this summer uh, as we said, I I love the move. That's <laughs> just to be able to to boil it down. I think it's great. And I, I the White Sox, as I said, I think the Twins are going to be very good. The Indians are are surely regressing. and Are going to try <laughs> to rely on some young talent. Yeah. I mean their payroll is now going to be at under fifty million. I it's believe. It's forty
0: million. Yeah. Exactly. Unbelievable. Um, yeah.
1: I I do not want to count out Minnesota, but I do think that the Chicago White Sox are the favorite.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they have a lot of lot of things going for them. I think the Hendricks moves leaves a lot of teams wanting and wishing that they could have picked him up. And I wish I could be a fly in the wall. There's not even a centralized location for the winter meeting. There wasn't for the winter meetings this year, but I wish I could get in the heads of some of these executives and wonder what's taking so long because every time a good guy comes off the board, you just wonder how many other suitors there were, how many teams needed a guy like Hendricks. And for the White Sox to come away with him is a huge win.
1: I, I'll just look at it. The, the two teams that jump really jump off at me, Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, excuse me, the uh, Washington Nationals, Atlanta Braves. Yeah. I mean, and have, the Phillies. You could the easily the, say honestly, Phillies. Honestly, and the Phillies. Yeah. Um, but I... I I just look at those teams and I say, I don't know how you pass up this opportunity. Yeah,
0: that's oh. exactly what I mean. How can you pass up a guy this good? And his contract was three years and $54 million. So mm-hmm. kind of interesting, three years, $39 million for the actual play time. Sure. He has a $15 million buyout with a fourth-year option. So he could actually get paid that $15 million even if he's not with the team.
1: Yeah, I think that's an actually very creative way to structure it. Yeah. If you're if you're talking about the White Sox, because they say he regresses so much, they can just pay him to go away, or they could pay him to play for him. Yeah. So it's smart on Hendricks' part that he gets those fifteen million dollars either way, and honestly, it gives the White Sox a little flex roster flexibility. Yeah. So
0: it's cost flexibility. I still think it's more than I know. I expected him to get paid. Me too. But I mean, again, I, I was so happy that somebody came off the board that he could have been paid a hundred million dollars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fair. Well, we can talk about a guy that's gonna be that's gonna make a hundred million dollars times three. Yeah. in A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for my number of the week, will relate around Francisco Lindor, the newest New York Met, and that number is sixty-eight, and that is the amount of runs saved that the Mets would have with Lindor at shortstop over Ahmed Rosario oh since 2017. It is a difference of 68 wow. runs.
0: How many and games would that have won the Mets this over year? Over the years, That's crazy. It,
1: it would have been so important. So Ahmed Rosario, who's the one of the main pieces that went back and has been the Mets starting shortstop, is a negative 35 defensive run save for his career. Francisco Lindor is a positive 46.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh,
1: of course, everyone is going to talk about how special it is what the Mets just got for their order for a guy that I think is going to slot perfectly into the two-hole in the lineup as a switch-hitting shortstop with that, you know, oh yeah, hits 30 home runs basically every single season, hits for average, steals bases. He, he's the perfect player, but defensively, it cannot be understated how important this is that they now have a top-tier defensive shortstop.
0: Yeah, you, you nailed it on the head. I mean, the, the batting numbers are what make him pop off the page. Mm-hmm. But when you also think about where he is in terms of other shortstops, and we've talked a lot in the in our baseball episodes about this influx of shortstop free agents that we have coming up. Trevor Story, for, for sure. Carlos Correa, Javi Baez, Corey Seager. Corey Seager. <laughs> Francisco Lindor is better than all of he's them. He's number one.
1: He's not. I, I, I won't even like take a debate on shortstops, no. and it's not just because he's a New York Met. I, I would have said that otherwise. There is no one like Francisco Lindor in the game right now.
0: It's every single tool. It's it's slugging. It's defensive. It's uh, skill on the base path. It's speed. It's the personality. I don't I think that can be understated. Yeah, people like watching him. I think he's a he's another great get for New York and Steve Cohen and. Everything seems so perfect there with Steve Cohen in New York. It's it's crazy to be a part of. But I also think Carlos Carrasco is a huge get for, for New York.
1: It, it really is. And that's what's kind of funny about this trade, too, is that, of course, the whole focus is on Francisco Lindor. A lot of the focus is on what Cleveland got as well. And we can touch on them in a second here after Carrasco. But adding Carlos Carrasco to the rotation, that is exactly what the Mets needed. And it's... It's so similar because, you know, talking about how when we talked about the Mets, I said I would pass on Trevor Bauer and I would go for more middle of the rotation pieces and thinking about free agency. This fills that need anyway. So now you're going to have Carrasco. It's either going to be your two or three starter. You know, DeGrom, Marcus Stroman. uh, You've got uh, Noah Syndergaard coming back in June or July. They have David Peterson, the rookie who pitched very well. Steven Matz can fill in for now. Uh, as a fifth starter until Syndergaard comes back. I think Seth Lugo is going to be in the bullpen, so that's why I don't even mention him. Uh, Carrasco gives them stability. He's been one of the steadier and just honestly solid American League pitchers over the last couple years. Uh, Again, you talk about character. The guy beat cancer to come back. I mean, it's a a really good story, and he's a very good player, and it fills an, an incredibly important need for the New York Mets.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm okay, so this is our third biggest trade of this offseason. Have we had a fourth? Darvish, Snell, and Lindor, was there another one?
1: This, this is the third, uh, and okay. I would also rank it as the biggest.
0: Okay, yeah, for some reason I thought I was missing one. But I think, again, three for three, the team receiving the Major League star in Lindor, Snell, and Darvish have come away with as the winners without having to give up premium prospects
1: yeah so if, if you look at it for the Mets Ahmed Rosario who was to give him credit one of the top 10 prospects in all of baseball when he came up right but he has been
0: below league average for years now
1: he's got a lot of tools he has yet to put it all together as someone that has watched basically every game of his career uh he, he's got some power he's got some speed He really lacks discipline up at the plate. He is a poor fielder as we went through it. I'm not sure that he can stick at shortstop. Andres Jimenez, the exact opposite. Very solid but low-ceiling type player. Fantastic glove, gives you decent speed, can play second, third, or short uh, for them. So he's going to be an interesting piece for the Indians. The Indians might want to roll with uh, Jimenez and Rosario at short and second to, to as they're up the middle defense this year. And then Isaiah green outfielder uh, drafted recently, probably the best prospect the Mets gave up. If you're looking at more prospects, I'll consider Rosario and Jimenez major league ready and Josh Wolf, another guy that throws really hard recent draft pick, but under the previous regime under uh, Brody van Wagen. And I believe the Mets are really trying to retool their farm system under the Porter Alderson uh, Mm -hmm. Cohen uh, regime.
0: Mm -hmm. And that was something Cohen talked about in his presser about how important that was to him. I mean, the difference here is that Lindor was in the walk year, so yeah, I guess they, you can they didn't say, give up
1: any of their top prospects for him. Yeah,
0: it. yeah. So the Mets come out as a winner, and the Indians get something back for them for Lindor look- and Carrasco. And again, this it's so confusing following this Cleveland franchise because they're just shedding money, shedding money, shedding money, <sighs> and they're not necessarily getting prospects that aren't gonna that are gonna f- shape a franchise. Yeah, it it hurts
1: in one way for Cleveland. What I will say is it's not like Cleveland got nothing back. They have guys that have potential that can be solid major league players for them for for a while. I mean, if they can tap into Rosario, that's great. As I said, they're going to have one of the better fielders in Andres Jimenez, and we'll see what they can turn into Green and Wolf. But for a team that was in the World Series just a couple of years ago, for a right. team that had you know, won 100 games multiple times in, in the past couple of years, to see where they've gone now, where they've just traded all of their talent. I mean, you yeah. look at it with, uh, Bauer, you've got Lindor going here. Jose Ramirez is the last one standing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Clevenger, it, Kluber. Kluber. That's true. It, you go back even further. You had Cliff Lee, CC Sabathia. Like, yeah. The, it, a good there point. is a culture here of trading your best assets. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing we talked about with Tampa and it, it's gotta hurt. It
0: yeah, it really does. I think Carlos Santana just signed with the Royals this offseason too, did. right? He won an All-Star in 2019. Yeah, it's just it's frustrating for the fan base to have to deal with this and again, you always like small market teams. you like to root for small market teams, but 40 million seems excessive. Mm-hmm. Carlos ways, Carrasco ways, was so unacceptable. Yeah, the Carlos Carrasco was the biggest contract in the Cleveland books. He's getting paid 12 million next year.
1: Yeah, it's it's not that's not acceptable to be a team that was in the postseason. It, I understand that Tampa and Oakland have smaller payrolls as well, but they don't cut to get to that number. Right. They just don't sign anyone. Um, it, 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 everything is about can you develop players if you're going to go by this, um, go by this philosophy. And if you are wrong on your player evaluations, you end up at the bottom of the league pretty quickly.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess they have another chance here with Jimenez and Rosario. So we'll see. All right. The last thing I want to ask you, because you you brought it up, what does the Slendor trade mean for Bauer? Because as I'm going through my list, a lot of the teams that we thought would go after Bauer have already made their big moves of the offseason. We had the White Sox. They got Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks. You would think they're pretty much not in need of pitching anymore. The Padres, same vein, went and got Snell and Darvish. They're not in need of pitching anymore. The Mets went out and got Lindor and Carrasco. They're probably not going to make the big money move on a pitcher when there are still guys like uh, Springer and LeMayu out there. So what does this mean for Bauer? Are his list of suitors, does it continue to dwindle?
1: I still think that he is on a crash course for the LA Angels. I think dodgers could be in play though i don't see it i think toronto's in play for him and then maybe it's just a team we haven't talked about maybe it's the texas rangers that think that they can compete in that division but i i do think that the list is is not as large as as he would have first thought it would be right
0: right and and the Bauer to the Angels seems so obvious and so smart to me that I just have this feeling it's not going to happen. <laughs> and that's
1: totally true. <laughs> it's such
0: a smart move for both sides and for Trout and Rendon and how good positionally the Angels are. They need that one ace. Even if, even if we don't think that Bauer is that ace, it's something. Yep. And I don't know. The fact that it hasn't happened so far leaves me with kind of a bad feeling about it.
1: Yeah, we'll see. As I said, only two players have have signed with over two year contracts. I mean, Bauer might not even be one of them because he has thrown out that he would be open to a one year deal. Um, but things are moving slowly. Uh, but in the same vein, things are also closing up for some people. So we'll we'll see what yeah. happens.
0: Yeah, and we've got. I mean, we've got the pitchers and catchers reporting in about a month, which oh, is mind wait. blowing. Yeah, I we're so excited. Wait. So for hopefully,
1: that. we start to see some more moves. Uh, yeah. come through as as we get closer i to think training.
0: i think next week yeah next week and next week maybe the start. month of january i can see us having a lot of baseball content to put it to put it lightly
1: well that's <laughs> not a problem for us no all right well that'll do it then so be sure to rate and subscribe to the show on itunes and spotify uh follow us on instagram and twitter at did you hear pod Uh, let us know what you think Um, we know we want to do very football centric for this month especially in january but of course we also had to mix some baseball in And we will be back at it next week for possibly a Villanova basketball recap. Oh, man, we need it. Fingers crossed crossed, that they're able to come back and everyone is healthy and everyone's doing okay um, for when they can possibly be scheduled to return for actually a week from tonight uh, on Tuesday the 19th. So we'll see that. Otherwise, of course, we'll have our regularly scheduled episode. But that'll do it for us. Emma, that's a wrap.